Let's get going. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm 16. That's the verse we're going to read together tonight. Um, I love Jesus in the room tonight, huh? Yeah, that's a good response right there. So we spent the last about five weeks on prayer, and I think that the Lord, uh, it was a good start for us as we uh, seek to develop and cultivate uh, to be a community that is embodies this mandate to be a house of prayer. And so we're going to continue on that and uh, are actively um, looking how to steward this with the Lord and create more spaces for prayer. So we'll have some announcements in those regards in the weeks to come, but uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord's doing and just from conversations having with many of you, I think he's doing a good work in us. And we're going to move on to a, a new series now, at least for the next couple weeks, and I'm going to call it Discipled by Joy. And uh, it's a really important series, and uh, we're going to get really serious about joy. All right, nobody else is on that yet, but we're going to get serious about joy. (laughs) So C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven, and I love that. And uh, sometimes I think we mistake the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 for seriousness. It's not in there. I read it just recently, but joy is, and so we're going to get serious about joy, and uh, Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God's not eating and drinking, but it's peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit, so that's a third of the kingdom, according to that definition, so I want the whole kingdom, right, and we've been on a journey of righteousness and really um, digging into brokenness and accepting a lot of things, going places uh, the last six months that I think have been uncomfortable and stretching for many of us, coming um, to terms with our wounds and our brokenness and our past, and in the midst of all that, doing the work of sanctification, and that's beautiful, which is um, discipleship is you know, you suffer, uh, you pick up your cross, you follow Jesus, you die to self. Um, and in that same tension, there's such a need for joy because he doesn't leave us to a life of suffering. He actually calls us to a life of joy uh, in the midst of the suffering. And so we're going to, uh, I just feel like God is wanting to awaken and renew our minds of what joy is, uh, at least for these next couple of weeks. So who's ready? All right, well, let's do it then. Um, so definition, if you're to Google joy, like I think this is Merriam-Webster, it says it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Does everybody, does that make sense? Is that good? Okay, so the thing with definitions um, that I just want to kind of bring to light, this is really um, as we perceive all truth, is that the way we come into an understanding of truth uh, is not simply through like intellectual observation, right? So there's actually uh, this thing like there's a there's this myth of objectivity really is the best way to say it that we often buy into in the church, um, which is the sense that like I can read the scripture and I just perceive it objectively like I get all my input from the word of God. That is great theoretically, but it actually doesn't work because we are beautifully bound by our subjectivity as human beings. And why I say beautifully bound is because it's beautiful in the sense that me and you are unique. 
We have a different life, a different past, a different history. We express ourselves. We perceive information differently. And so our experience actually weighs greatly into our perception of truth. Does this make sense? So essentially, we can read a definition of joy. It says it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. But that intellectual statement is just affirming in even a deeper subconscious definition of joy that I've created through my whole life, through my own perceived experiences and so on, so on, so on. Does that make sense? Right, so our experiences weigh heavily. Um, in the Wesleyan holiness tradition, which is my heritage, uh, there's, a, there's a quadrilateral that says um, the four components that are used to come into an understanding of truth. The first one is the word of God. Uh, the second is personal experience. The third is tradition, church history. And the fourth is reason and logic. So there's really a wide, um, that we have to pull from uh, multiple sources as, of input and data points as we're coming into understanding of truth. Are you following me? So when we're talking about joy, uh, we have to understand that our definition, our working definition of joy is deeply shaped by our experiences, right? And so in this beautifully bound place of our subjectivity, it's amazing because I have unique perspective than you do, but it also means you have unique perspective that I don't have, and, and we're bound in ourselves unless we learn to honor one another and receive inspiration and even be disturbed by the perspective that we all see. So specifically when we're talking about God, we have to recognize we are not equipped to understand him fully ourselves. We need people. We need people of different perspectives than us. Right? We have to honor them enough that we can let them inspire us and disturb us into a more... Right? So I'm going to take you into understanding of who God is and what his attributes are like. Are you following me? Right? So I'm going to take you into a bit of my journey of being disturbed and inspired on the topic of joy. Right? So I was a very melancholy um, child, kid, young adult. I remember uh, I was like... When people would see me play sports that knew me outside of, like, at my parents' house, they would be like, what happened to that kid? I've never seen him so much energy. He's on the basketball court. Like, I was just like, that's kind of how I lived my life, just bump on a log, right? So this is just my natural disposition. I'm more melancholy. I don't know if that was because I was depressed. I don't know if that was, I don't know what that meant, but that's just how my life was. So as I um, began uh, to just grow in relationship with Jesus, I would still say I had a very deprived understanding of joy in my spirituality. And I remember I was, I think I was 19 when I preached for the first time, like a full sermon. And I believe that my main point of my sermon was how happiness and joy were not the same thing because happiness can look happy and fills all these good things, but joy is just this choice that you make even in the midst of suffering. And uh, there was some truth in it, but there's like half of it I would never say again. I'm like, oh gosh, that's not true. I don't believe that. Um, I had no understanding. I didn't know what I was talking about yet. I had a deprived understanding of joy, and yet I was still trying to preach on it. So I don't know what that means. Hopefully I'm not doing that tonight, but you you never know, you know, so in five years I might be like, yeah, I preached this sermon in 2018 and I don't even believe half of it, but I hope you do, so. All right, anyways, um, I, I was, uh, it was uh, September of 2013, I was in uh, uh, Los Angeles at a meeting, Heidi Baker was preaching at it, and when, if you know me, when I get hungry, I get extremely cranky and I can get volatile. The more sanctified I get, that's going away, but that's just my natural carnal self. I get like hangry, right? And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but I, I live my life by the, the acronym HALT. 
Don't do anything if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. That's just a free one. So, anyone. Uh, I'm at this meeting, and I ate lunch at, like, noon, and then the worship went for, like, four hours, and then I'd preached for forever. And I'm like, dude, I got to get some food. I'm dying right now. For two hours, I was like, when's the sermon going to stop? Like, I'm hungry. And then she's like, finally, she's like, all right, it's time to go home. She's like, but some of you, you need to stay and just pray. And the Lord was like, you need to stay and pray. And I was like, no, no, I'm starving, right? So I was like, fine. So I just kind of like start praying, and peace of God comes over me. I was like, that was awesome. 20 minutes later, it's like, all right, it's time to go. I looked at people I was with. All right, can we go? Yeah, let's go. So we get in the car, and I think my mom was like, so what would you think of it? And I went to speak. (laughs) I don't know what happened, man, but as I went to speak, it was just like, Joy exploded in me, and I started uncontrollably laughing like I had never laughed in my entire life to the point that, I don't know if Shana's in here, but she was offended at me. She was with me, and she's like, quit it. They thought I was being sensationalism and stuff. I'm like, dude, I've never laughed like this in my whole life, and I'm starving. This doesn't happen when I'm starving. I knew it was a move of God, so I'm like, dude, I should be angry. I was laughing so hard, they went to the drive-thru. I couldn't even order food. I couldn't even eat food. I was so consumed with joy, right? And a week later, I was on a plane flying to Africa, and I believe that one of the main reasons God sent me there for three months was to teach me how to laugh and to begin my discipleship journey into what joy is really like. And I got into this culture, and I was like, what on earth do these people have, man? They are so full of joy, And it was disturbing to me because they didn't have many things, but real. They had joy. It was contagious. It was like like electric, and it was real, and I could feel it. And I had to come to acceptance of some uncomfortable truths and wrestle with some things that my mind had to change. I had to repent. I had to change the way I think. My experience had to be rooted out so that I could come into a more pure understanding of what joy really is. Right? And some of the uncomfortable things I had to ask myself is, why do I get uncomfortable when I hear someone laughing in church, but I'm completely comfortable when I hear someone crying in church? Right? Why have I never seen smiling faces in worship before? Why have I never seen people jam- dance for joy in worship before? Why have I never experienced these things? Why don't I smile in worship? Right? I had to ask all these questions as the Lord was disturbing me through this recognition that these people possess something of Jesus's heart that I never had experienced before right and what it all led me to was an uncomfortable acceptance with this truth and that is that the United States of America out of all the places I've been in the world is the most joy deprived culture I've ever been a part of we are deprived of joy we are absolutely overflowing with comfort but we are lacking joy and We create our definition of things through our experience, highly, highly, um, you know, affects how we come to perceive things such as joy. So I say this, all this is my introduction, is to say, we need a joy upgrade. So Jesus is giving us a joy upgrade. 
And I'm going to offer some thoughts and perspectives and even a call, an opportunity to begin to actively partner with God to cultivate joy and renew our minds about what this very powerful thing called joy is. Amen? Okay, so if you're at your Bible, Psalm 16, we're going to read a few verses together. This is, uh, we'll read Psalm uh, 16, 7 through 11. You should be there, so I'm going to jump right in. It says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Fullness of joy. Unto me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Come on. That's a good, for, we just go home right there. So this is very important when we understand joy. That is this. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not derived from our circumstances, no matter how good or bad they are. That is not where we get joy. Happiness comes from our circumstances. Happiness can come, happiness can go. Joy is rooted in the most kind, consistent, and faithful person that we'll ever meet, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I've spoken these words to you about abiding in me. That's the context. I've spoken to you about abiding in me so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full. <laughs> we can go home. Are you kidding me? My joy is not in circumstances. My joy derives from a person who absolutely adores me and is so powerful and has all joy and has endless pleasure and it's for me. He wants me to have it. <laughs> Talk about stability. Talk about security. Why are we so afraid? <laughs> oh, now it's not funny, huh? <laughs> Just joking. So joy is not circumstantial. It is rooted in Jesus. This is so important to fully grasp because the, the reality of discipleship is you have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And crosses are not comfortable things. Crosses are full of pain. Life is full of brokenness. And, and surrender is at the core of this gospel message. So how will I ever be able to surrender and let go of control of circumstances that can come and go and curveballs and life can throw you lemons and all kinds of stuff. If we're finding our security and our joy in our circumstances, we will never be able to be the full expression and become the disciples we were created to be. We need joy. We need joy to fulfill this, right? It's woven in to the whole, uh, the whole wisdom of God, his plan, his purposes for our lives. We were created for joy, right? And for me, uh, in my discipleship journey, by far the most difficult thing that I've ever struggled with, and it's an ongoing struggle, um, is to surrender the ministry that God uses me to birth, right? And... Uh, I'm the, being this pastor gig is like way more vulnerable than I ever would have imagined. It's like, whoa, this is not easy, Lord. You know, and I'm faced always with the reality that I am giving my entire life 
to create something with God that I have absolutely no ownership of, that does not belong to me in the slightest sense. And I have to sit with the reality that I could wake up tomorrow and God could say, all right, time to give it away. You're going somewhere else. And, and that's, that's, that's my reality. It's surrendered. It's on an altar. It doesn't belong to me. And the temptation in all things, especially good things, is I want to I kind of keep these blessings close, right? And it's forced me into this very vulnerable place. And then you add on to that, you know, church just in general, you're like making financial risk, ministerial risk, and you're chasing a Holy Spirit that says like the wind, you don't know where he's coming from, you don't know where he's going next. So I'm like, man, there is not much security in this job, Lord. Right, So it is very vulnerable. And so to continually, every new season, every new growth, every new development, it's a new place that I have to surrender to the Lord. Right, And my first ministry, I'd been at it for a year and a half, and it started very small, like very, very small, like two people small. And a year and a half, it had grown to a core group of people, and we were ready to go, and we were going to plant a church, and we were being sent out. And uh, for six months, I'd done all the back work. I'd uh, gotten the lease at the building we were using. We had, uh, we were literally, it was a Thursday, and on Friday, we were going up to the mountains for a retreat. And uh, on Sunday, we were coming home and planting this ministry, and it was like, you know, everyone's like, you know, excited, this is like awesome. And I was preaching at a university on that Thursday night, and I got a call from my senior leader, and he said, hey, we need to talk right now. And I said, that kind of sounds scary, like, is it good or bad? And he's like, we just need to talk right now. And I said, I am walking into a, a university, I'm about to preach, and I said, I won't be able to probably be back home until around midnight. He said, well, then we need to talk at midnight. And I was like, okay, I know what that means. Something really bad's about to happen. And, and I was almost convinced that the plug was going to get pulled out of everything, you know, really the last year and a half, six months, all the work. And I, I'm like, all I'm thinking, I was like, I'm going to have to go to that retreat on Friday and be like, hey, guys, we're not going to plant a church now, but Jesus, you know, like, I'm like, this is going to be so uncomfortably awkward, right? You following me? And so I was sick to my stomach the whole night. I had to preach sick to my stomach. I got in the car and was driving. I had about a half hour drive and I called two people that are close to me and I just said, hey, um, I'm going into a meeting. I'm pretty sure this is what's going to happen. It's the only reason I can think that we'd have to meet at midnight and uh, just please pray that I can be gracious. And I just, you know, I'm sick to my stomach. And they said, okay, we're praying for you. And I start driving the car and had about 20 minutes left on the drive and literally like <laughs> just joy joy just like it was like a grenade blew up in my car and I was started laughing literally so hard I thought I was gonna crash the car and like it wasn't fake there was nothing since it was like the I was became so happy I couldn't think of being more happy in my whole life and I walked into that meeting literally consumed with joy and it was like an amazing meeting and uh it was some things i expected but the the plug didn't get pulled out so that was good um and we ended up planning the church it's beautiful the church is still going today but the lord taught me a very powerful lesson as i was faced with what i thought was for certain a surrender of what i had loved so much and it was the lord telling me jordan your joy isn't in your circumstances Joy is not in the ministry. Joy is not in the best things of your life. It's in me, and I'm with you, 
And you don't, you don't need these things to be happy. I have happiness. I have joy for you. And he began that night discipling me in joy and taking me on a journey that I am still on today of deepening that revelation so that I truly, authentically know that Jesus is my joy. That in his presence is joy and his presence isn't going anywhere. Life and circumstances and ministry and relationships and all these things, they are transient at times. But God remains. God remains. And I want to make a link for you that the revelation that your joy is in Jesus and rooted in a person that doesn't change is very, very important for you on your discipleship journey. Because, you know, one of the most cliche verses I think that we say all the time is, the joy of the Lord is our strength. (laughs) Oh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? We I mean, I've, I've probably heard that a thousand times in my life, most of them from my mother. When it was like, do your chores, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm like, ah, I don't like that, right? But we say this in this cliche way. I want to make a link here that the joy of the Lord is literally our strength. If we are not connected powerfully to this joy, we will not have the courage we need to wade into the deep waters of surrender where we let go of control and allow God to be the provider of our joy, our fulfillment, our satisfaction. Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength, and that joy is a revelation that my fulfillment, my personal well-being is not rooted in this life. It is rooted in a God that radically loves me and doesn't change. And we sing it. Never going to let me down. Right? We got to not just sing it. We got to confess it. We got to pray it. We got to shout it on the mountaintops. And we got to live our lives in a way that says, I believe that's true. There is suffering and joy in this life. But the joy outweighs the suffering. The joy is what compelled Jesus. He was motivated by it. He was well acquainted with suffering. But it was the joy that was set before him that compelled him to the cross. He's a Jesus. One of my favorite verses is the disciples go out and he tells them, you know, go pray for the sick. Heal the sick and, you know, demons go, yada, yada. They come back. They're like, Jesus, we did it. It happened. And it says Jesus rejoiced greatly in that hour. And that word rejoiced literally means he leaped and twirled. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You know, he's serious about joy. So if I can be a fool, so can you, and he can as well. So it's joy. He was a man full of joy. And he wants his joy in us and our joy to be full. Amen? So I'm going to talk about just two, um, two tools, two things that we can use like every day of our lives that will actually cultivate a posture of joy. These things are like funnels that will attract joy and actually create it in our lives if we will use them. And I'm going to talk about these. These are actually practices to be employed. They're disciplines, really. And uh, I say this because um, crisis, cr- crisis Christianity doesn't work. And what I mean by that is if we are just responding and we're needing joy in the crises of life, you're not going to find it. That's like expecting to win the championship when you didn't practice all season. 
right? What you do in the, you know, in the mundane, in the everyday, in the practice, in the walk of life is what will be revealed in the crisis moment, right? In the game, in the, when the pressure's on, when people are watching. And so these are things that are not, um, they're not just, uh, hey, use this in a crisis and it'll fix you. Uh, these are tools, disciplines, that if you employ them as a lifestyle, the joy in your life will just grow, I promise. It's like, it makes me happy just talking about it. I believe it that much. All right, so there are two G words. First one is gratitude. Let's say that. Gratitude. I love gratitude because gratitude helps us focus on God's goodness in our lives. Right? It helps us focus on what God is doing. Right, and oftentimes I think there is some type of um, like consumption. There is some type of spiritual influence of consumption upon this culture that, for some reason, it blinds us from what God is doing and the abundant blessings that He just just lavishes on our lives, and we get so focused on what isn't happening or what is fallow and needs to be cultivated and we just get like consumed by it and we end up walking right past all these these vineyards of blessing because we can't see it. We're just fixated on what God isn't doing. And gratitude is a discipline of learning to fix your eyes on what God is doing and thank him for it and actually cultivate where your heart gets into this place of gratitude. I remember the first time I had an experience with gratitude. I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. And I was in a very dark season of my life. I was in a multi-year depression. I was going through a rejection. I was going through the shaking of everything. My athletics were being stripped from me. And I was laying in bed at night in my self-misery in a pity party, which is basically what I did for most of that, um, at least about a three, five, six-month season. And uh, I'm sitting in bed. And right outside my bedroom, we had this nice, beautiful home. Uh, there was a drinking fountain right outside my bedroom. I could see it's right there, mudroom. And I'm laying in my bed, and I just, like, looked at it. And I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, man, I got a drinking fountain right outside my bedroom. I was like, I don't even have to go to the kitchen to get a drink of cold water. <laughs> and I was just like, thanks, God. And then... It like went from there, and I just like looked up, and I had a ceiling fan, and I was like, that thing blows cold air on me to make me comfortable when I feel hot, and I was just like, thank you, God, and then I looked, and I had like blinds on all my windows, and I was like, those things are there to help me sleep in in the morning, because this, you know, and, and I was just like, thank you, God. And literally, it was like something started going in me, and I was like, I've got a shower in my bathroom. I've got like, and I just like started going, I was like, and I have a mom, and I have a dad, and I have two brothers, and I just started like, like for the probably the first time in my self-absorbed life, I started recognizing that I was not entitled to all these things, and that they were gifts. And I started attributing them to God, and I tell you what, like, joy hit me so much that I was like, Mom, Mom, where are you? Get in here. And I was like, I started, like, telling her, I got a fan, and I got the blinds and the thing. And I'm like, she's like, what? I'm like, this is crazy. I was like, I've got so much blessing. <laughs> I wish I would have continued cultivating that. I didn't. But it was my first taste of the heart of gratitude, and it was powerful. And the thing that's amazing about gratitude, we can use it anytime we want. 
Because we literally have so much to be thankful for, we could spend all day, every day just thanking God for the gifts that he's given us. Truly, if you just went in the thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. He is the father of lights who gives graciously without variation or shifting shadow. In uh, John, in Gospel of John, John the Baptist says, no man can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. Everything in your life, you can follow it from the hand of blessing right up to the mouth that's smiling on you, and you can receive his joy. And gratitude is work because gratitude's not a feeling. It's not like, oh, I feel grateful right now. No, sometimes you feel really um, miserable. Sometimes you feel like you're in a pit. Sometimes you feel like you don't, the last thing you want to do is you want to be grateful because there's so much not working in your life. That's why gratitude is a discipline of choosing to employ gratitude in the midst of the not yet, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of all the things, right? And what happens, right, because we have these vineyards of blessing, and when we walk by them, we fail to use and, and utilize the blessings and press through the blessings themselves and into the heart of the blesser, right? And when we start using gratitude, we start looking at these, it's like vineyards, like grape upon grapes upon grapes upon grapes, and gratitude takes these grapes, puts them in the press, and you start squeezing them so that the wine of the kingdom can come out, and you can drink that and start experiencing the joy of the one who gave you those blessings. It's like, we have all these blessings, like, oh yeah, I have all these blessings, but we never actually sat and became thankful for them. We never actually squeezed them and pressed through the gifts and into the heart of the giver. That's what gratitude does. We can do it anytime we want. I'm excited about that. You don't really seem to be. Are you thinking? It's okay. All right, you're getting it. Moving then. Gratitude is powerful. All right, you're getting it. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but you need to pray for you afterwards. All right, uh, next G word is generosity. I love gratitude, but I think generosity is like my favorite. Generosity expresses the heart of God. It's something so sacred about who our Father is. God so loved the world, He gave. He bankrupted heaven for us in our sin and selfishness and brokenness. He gave His best for us. Oh my gosh. He gave with no thought of Himself. He just gives. He gives. He's the most generous person we will ever deal with. He just gives and gives and gives and gives to weak, selfish people. He gives his heart again and again and again. It just it amazes me who our God is. And we, formed in his image, get to be like him. And generosity, uh, I believe, is Really, it's like the secret to double portion joy. Isaiah 61 says they'll have a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. And I believe that double portion joy, it, it actually comes from generosity because the act of generosity creates joy in itself. But then there's also this double side, which is it then attracts the, the favor of our God. You can't outgive me. You sow, you give, press down, shaken, it'll come back to you running over, right? It's like, uh, you know, you can't, it's like the only test in scripture is see if you can outgive me. You can't. I'm more generous than you. It's basically what God's saying, right? So the act of generosity creates joy and then also attracts joy. Pretty good deal, right? 
So I love this. Um, I have found that in my journey with generosity, that the more painful the sacrifice, the greater joy it creates. And I believe that is because the, the, it's, the painful is because it's severing us from a happiness that we can control in our circumstances. But then it positions us to receive a joy that's uncontrollable. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so there's often pain in generosity, but that pain is because it's separating us from this, this need to control that I can create. I can use this just to create. It positions me to receive what I'm really longing for, which is the joy of Jesus, right? And generosity does not just entail finances. I believe generosity uh, it consists of your time, your affections, and your finances. It is anything that entails the giving of yourself to someone else with nothing, no expectation in return. So I'm just going to share a few things, and I'm going to share honestly, because I want to be honest, this is real life that we're all dealing with, um, about how the Lord has um, really renewed my mind on this topic of generosity and used it to cultivate so much joy in my life. So, so I feel like I just could share a gift with you tonight. Um, a number of years ago, I was in a, just a season that I really wanted to run from, and I was extremely discouraged. And what, um, I, I would just... You know, so the Lord basically said, I want you to commit to this place. And I was like, I don't really want to commit to this season because I'm really discouraged. But I made the commitment. You know how you kind of get on that commitment high? Like, yeah, I made the commitment. Everything's going to be better now. And about a week later, it was like, nope, still discouraged. <laughs> like, really discouraged today. And the Lord, uh, I was trying to shake it. I was trying to do anything I could. I was trying to use gratitude. Like, what, how do I shake this discouragement? And the Lord whispered in my heart. He said, what do you need today? And I was like, I need encouragement. I need, I need you to encourage. I need someone, something to encourage me today. That's what I need. I was like, yeah, that's good. I hadn't thought about it. The Lord said this. He said, well, why don't you just give it away? And I, was like, I hadn't thought about that. So I literally walked downstairs, got on my computer. I started going through my Facebook list, and I just started sending encouraging messages to, like, a bunch of my friends. And I swear, within about 20 minutes, my whole countenance so shifted that I think I forgot that I was even discouraged. And it took me from this place of being a victim, and it took me to this place of, wow, I am powerful. I can actually create joy with the way I live my life when I get outside of myself and start preferring others and giving of myself to others, right? And it's crazy. It's like the act of generosity creates joy. Right? And then out of those messages, connection, it was just like, it was amazing. And it opened my eyes to the power that is within us to be generous and that we can operate. Even if we lack, we can still give out of our lack. And there's something that's just beautiful that takes place and it expresses the heart of our Father. So there's this connection that comes from it. Right? My birthday, um, my mom's like the biggest birthday queen in the world. So she always made like birthdays as if like I think I thought the whole world centered around me on August 22nd. Like I don't even know other people were born that day because it was about me. Right. And uh, when I started like becoming, you know, like a teenager, older, young adult, I had a string of probably like six or seven years where I had horrible birthdays. And I started recognizing I'm having a horrible birthday because I have so much expectation on other people making me feel special on my birthday. That I don't even like my birthday. I started almost dreading it. And I think I was, it was probably 20, I think it was like my 22nd birthday. I just kind of like had a wake up 
And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm tired of waking up on my birthday and acting like I'm a victim to other people. Like, I'm just kind of like, I hope other people bless me. Right? Like, that was basically like, like, like it's, I was born today, so make me feel special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my mom did my whole life. <laughs> and I realized how powerless that was. I realized how selfish it was. I realized, and it was like, you know what? I'm tired of my birthday being like that. I'm going to make my birthday about blessing other people. And it was like, because that's what Jesus does on Christmas. Right? And then I heard uh, Bill Johnson at Bethel, he gives gifts to all his family on his birthday. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm in. And I just started making it a principle that I'm going to give gifts to my family. I started giving gifts to my brother, to my family, to my parents. I've, birth- I've had birthday parties where I just said, Lord, all I want for my birthday is I'm going to write, a- I want a prophetic, probably my favorite birthday, plus the socks out of every person I invite to my own party. And I want to give them the gift. That was probably my favorite birthday party I've ever had. Then there were too many people the next year, so I didn't do it. But the the point is the same is I wake up now on my birthday. I'm like, this is going to be the best day ever. I don't even care what happens. I'm going to bless other people. And it's been the biggest shift. It's so amazing for me. I love my birthday again because I get to bless people. Right? Generosity is powerful. It creates joy. Right, so it is uh, our time, it's our affections, but it's also our finances. And I know this is like a sticky subject that uh, we don't talk about finances in church, so I'm just going to get the grill out and let's put the sacred cow on the barbecue and uh, turn it on. So we're going to talk about finances. Um, here we go. Um, I believe that uh, finances are they're amazing things, and God has given us them to be instruments of joy in our lives. But unfortunately, for so many, it actually becomes the source of anxiety, the source of fear, the source of, you know, all these things that are so negative. And I just think it's because we're lacking revelation of generosity and the gift of generosity, right? And navigating, I, I did not, like, grow up with a dream to be a pastor, so I don't really think I ever thought much about being a pastor other than... Um, when I was like a senior in college, I found out I was going to be a pastor from the Lord. I was like, oh, okay. I was planning to go to law school. And, um, and then I, I graduated school, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a pastor. And then I also graduated with about $30,000 of debt. And um, I was kind of like, whoa, this is kind of scary now because, like, pastors are poor, and I've got, like, a bunch of debt. Like, how many years is it going to take to pay this off? Right? It was just, like, shocking for me. And um, I began to just say, okay, Lord, I want to make a strategy with you, and I don't want to accept some type of poverty mindset around my life. I don't believe that you've destined me for poverty and to have some type of, I'm always going to be poor because I'm a pastor. That just doesn't seem very hopeful. Are you following me? And um, the Lord... Um, started just speaking to me about generosity, and I started creating core values of how I'm going to live my life in, in a lot of personal ways. But one of my secret desires, um, personal desires that, I, that I've told the Lord is I want to be known by him as a man of generosity. And I believe that wealth, that a wealthy individual is not dictated from heaven's perspective as how much money you have in your bank, as what your assets are, of your net worth. I believe that true generosity or true wealth is a life of generosity, right? And so um, I uh, have, I will be, a, I will be generous. I life, I don't really care how much money I get, but I will be wealthy because I will be generous. I will get the joy of what finances are meant for, which is to be a joy creating energy in our lives, 
right? And so the Lord in this, he said, this is how we're going to pay off your debts. He said, you're going to, um, I want you to make a commitment to now when you have very little um, dedicating yourself and committing to uh, over and above radical generosity, right? And so I'm just going to share openly just my discipleship journey. This is not necessarily saying this is the right way to do it, um, but this, I think there's principles that can be gleaned from this. Um, and so the Lord said, I want you to give over and above. And so um, I was always a faithful tither, but the Lord said, I want you to give more. And so um, probably the last four years, those are the only four years I've really ever made money, um, I, I've probably given at least 15 to 20% every uh, year away, just completely away. That's gross, just away. And um, honestly, that was very counter logical a lot of times to what I wanted to do as far as how am I going to pay off this debt, right? And um, there would be times where the Lord would ask for very sacrificial giving. I want you to give a large amount to this, large amount to this. And it was like, that doesn't make sense. I want to pay this debt off. I want to be under, off this yoke of living in this bondage of debt. And um, the Lord's having me do this. And then at the same time, you know, saying, I want you to do your graduate school. Well, how am I going to pay for that? You want me to take more debt on to do that? Then the Lord uh, has me give away my ministry, all my financial security. I lived three months. I didn't make any money. I lived another three months on an $800 salary. Like, this wasn't like, you know, thing. And, and, and you know, and. Through all this, keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. Even in the months of unemployment, I want you to give money there, give money there. I just made a commitment that I do not care how much I have or how little I have. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be a generous man. I'm going to sow and sow and sow where you lead me to sow. And I'm going to save when you ask me to save, right? But I'm just going to make a commitment to follow your voice in my finances, right? And he continued to lead me. You just can't outgive me can't outgive me. And what I found is even in this, the, the more sacrificial the giving, the more joy it created. So honestly, I started getting addicted to it. I was like, oh man, this isn't good. I just want to give my money away. I mean, I need to pay off my debt. Is this responsible? I'm like wrestling with all these things. God's like, don't worry about that. Just be faithful. Just be obedient. Just trust that my kingdom actually works, right? And uh, I, I say all this. Um, the, the most money I've ever made in one year on my tax returns is like maybe $32,000. It's been four years. I graduated with $30,000 of debt, four years since I started paying on it. Uh, on this week or Tuesday or Wednesday, um, depending on which day I get to it, uh, I will pay off my undergrad completely debt-free. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And this is the cool thing is I really don't know how. Like, it's, the math doesn't quite add up, like, honestly. It's just, you can't outgive God. And he just puts the blessing and the favor and the steward. And he's been so faithful to do what was a burden to my heart. I began four years ago saying, I want you to, to pay off. I want to be debt-free, Lord. I want to pay off all my student loans. The Lord said, just do it my way and watch me do it. And I, will, and I can tell you that in all of it, like, you know, giving away a job, having no income, all these things under this debt, taking, you know, doing grad work. I can count on like one hand how many times I've experienced financial stress. Like it's just something that I don't, I, it, it hasn't bothered me because he's like, don't worry about it. Just be generous. Just trust me. Right? And I've never lacked. I've always had what I needed. God has been so faithful to provide for me. And, and, and it's been the most joyful thing. It's like so joyful. It's like finances. I think of finances, it makes me happy. You know, and I'm not saying this all to be like, hey, look at me. I'm saying this, like, this is what generosity does. Generosity turns finances into the source of joy, and we become wealthy people. Not because we have a bunch of money. It's not about being rich. That doesn't do anything. God wants you to have a lot of finances. You're going to have a lot of finances. We'll equip you to do with it, but it's a burden. 
just as much as it's a blessing. And I talk to some people sometimes like, oh, my dream is to be really generous one day. Like, you won't be generous then. You won't be generous with much if you're not generous with little. Right? And so I share my, my story is little. This is little. I'm not trying to say, oh, look at me. I'm sure that there are people that have greater sacrifices. I'm just saying, no matter where you're at, no matter how much little, like, we got to be generous. We're missing out. We're robbing ourselves of joy. Right? It's like, I'm not up here pleading for your money. I'm up here advocating for your joy. I want the church of God to be so full of joy because we get the revelation that he so loves that he gave. I want people to look at us and be like, they so love the world they give. They give of their time. They give of their affection. They give of themselves. They give of their finances. They don't think of themselves. They just give. What that does is it severs us from, oh, it's all about my finances, making sure my security, making sure everything, da, 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 that's so I can be happy. <laughs> that doesn't make you happy. <laughs> Jesus makes you happy. Come on. This is real. Hallelujah. So this is how we're going to end tonight. We did this last service. I was really nervous about it because sometimes, man, I was in prayer last night, and the Lord said, this is what I want you to do at the end of service. I was like, that can't be you, Lord. But I knew it was him because I would have never thought of it myself. But I was really nervous last service, but it was beautiful. And so we're going to get to do it again. Um, but the Lord uh, just put a burden on my heart. And we probably had 12 people, maybe, maybe more than that last service. But there are some of you that you're in really rough financial times and, and just dire straits. And, you know, eviction notices, like food on the table. And, you know, people, I was talking to people almost in tears last service. And, um, and, if that, and so what I'm going to do in a sec is if that's you... I know it's a very humbling thing to do, but we're a family, and we need each other, and it's okay to ask for help, and I just feel like God wants to honor you tonight, and you've been in a season of struggle, and, and, uh, and so I'm going to ask them in a minute if they would stand and come up here, and then I'm going to ask you as the church um, if you would be willing to engage in generosity tonight and give of yourselves um, to form relationships and to sow into the season that they're in and to give. God so loved that he gave and so he, we get the joy of being